Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Train Like a Trooper podcast. I'm host Sarah Stewart, along with Trooper Eric Foster, my co-host. And today we have with us Trooper Latika Alexander, who is the first and only black female trooper in the state of Oklahoma. You guys can't see her right now. She's flexing as I'm introducing her. Latika, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thanks for coming on with us. Thanks for having me. We record these, obviously, before we release them. Right now, we're in the month of April, National Women's History Month. I know you just did a symposium with the FBI um, for Women's History Month. And, you know, so we wanted to have you on, too, and kind of talk about your experience as, you know, as a as a female trooper, as our only black female trooper. And so let's start out. You have been a trooper with the Highway Patrol for 19 years. Yes, ma'am. You've almost hit your 20-year mark. I'm close. How close? Very close. (laughs) Getting close. What academy were you out of? 53rd. 53rd Academy. The mighty, mighty 53rd. Yeah, everybody's got their their nicknames for their academies. Is that the last real academy? Of course it is. Easy. Hey. Of course it is. (laughs) Take us back and tell us why you wanted to become a trooper. Obviously, you didn't have anybody to look at within this organization to say, oh, yeah, I want to be just like that person. So what what motivated you? What made you want to take that route? Okay, so at first, it was going to be education. My mom's a teacher. I thought about education. Um, I also thought about law, law school. But I end up with uh, criminal justice. And I knew I wanted to work with kids, so I wanted to do the juvenile probation and parole. And that's where most of my studies were in undergrad. But the summer before my senior year, I was taking uh, classes at the Langston, Oklahoma City campus. And our former chief, Jerry Kaysen, was there finishing up his degree. And so he would come to uh, class because it was in the evening time. So he would come from work and be in uniform. And and he would get up and have just so much knowledge and stories, experience, and would talk to us. And myself and another young lady uh, classmate, he talked to both of us like every time, every class. And, of course, we were in awe of him and the respect we had for him and listening to him talk about all the things he had been through and what he was doing. And so he was basically in there recruiting, really. You know, of course, you recruit everywhere you go. So I took the bait and went on a ride along. And Pete Norwood took me on my first ride along on I-35. And we had a good time. Great experience. I can still laugh. We still, I mean, until he left us, we still laughed about this. I still laugh about it to this day because we went to a motorist assist on I-35. And I want to say it was probably up there by Colville. And uh, he was in PIO at the time. And so he just got thrown into it, like, take her out. Sure. You know what we do. So we we stopped to help a guy. Uh, it was a white truck and he had a flat. And he had on a white tank top and some fluorescent orange. Pete say they're pink. I say they were orange. I, you know, I think my eyes were younger, so I'm going to go with my eyes <laughs> at the time. And so there were these real high-cut <laughs> shorts. <laughs> and Pete was out there trying to help him change <laughs> flat. And the guy kept, you know, moving and putting his rear in Pete's face. <laughs> So Pete said, I'm sitting in the car. And Pete's like, you were laughing so hard the car was rocking back there. <laughs> so 
<laughs> so he helped change the guy's flat. And then we went on. So we talked about that, you know, up until he left us. Like I said, we would always reminisce about that. So that was my first ride along. True ride along was with Pete. We changed a flat. And the guy had, um, he was a white male. And so you could see parts of him was 10 and parts were not. So you could see a whole lot of stuff <laughs> in those shorts. So were you hooked after that first ride along? Were you like, I yes, was. I know this I is actually, what I want to do. I wanted more. I wanted to see more. I wanted to know more. Yes. My curiosity, you know, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that, you know. Hmm, maybe. Okay. And then I went ahead and applied. So I still had a year left of school. I had to do an internship. And I was playing my last year of, of college basketball. And it was kind of rough, too, because we... We were on the road playing. Our gym was being renovated. So we were practicing in Cushion and in Edmond. So that was daily. I was driving to, from Langston, we were driving to Cushion or Edmond. And we had to drive the bus, so, or the vans. And then our home games were at Millwood and Douglas High School, which was great. We would come to the city, so a lot of our, you know, alumni in the city could come and watch. And actually, Troopers, they came to watch me play some games. Yeah. Yep. So then I actually, so I entered the process. And it's like, oh, okay, cool. This is what I want to do. And so, of course, a lot of people, you know, they tell stories all the time like, wow, you know, we used to say we wasn't sure about that for you, um, but you were determined to do it. And then I told them, I said, hey, I wasn't sure sometimes myself. <laughs> but, you know, I pushed through and, um, God's grace and mercy, the only way, the only way I made it and have made it this far. So I interned with OHP starting at January of uh, 2001, and I was able to do a lot of different things, ride with a lot of different uh, troops and learn. I learned a lot in the way in the radio room and communications, love our dispatchers. I spent a lot of time with our dispatchers, so I have a I felt like I had an understanding coming in that most cadets, if they weren't prior law enforcement or didn't have to deal with communications in that regard, I had an up on that. And it really did help, really did. So those 10 codes wasn't too hard and certain things weren't too hard. Um, but I I enjoyed my, um, my internship with OHP that was unpaid. So I donated a lot of hours. <laughs> Did you did, did it enter your mind at the time or did people say to you, hey, you're kind of you're kind of trailblazing here? Hmm. Was that on your I mind or was it just this is the job I want and I'm going to do it? Um, as I've said before, you know, I knew it, but I didn't realize it. I didn't. I guess when you're in it, you don't really. I mean, if you're focused on making it, you're not focusing on that part of it. To me, that's the least amount, you know, of the of, of my thinking in my processing things. And I was just trying to stay awake, <laughs> learn what I need to learn, be able to take what I was taught out here and to be able to protect and serve and to serve my community. That's what my focus was. I was trying to survive because being the only female hired that year and the only black that year. And they bought female, they brought female troopers in. Um, wasn't one there consistently all the time, but uh, just kind of being all by your lonesome. I mean, it's a little different, but it didn't really. I mean, that really truly didn't bother me. It really didn't. It really didn't. Not really. Yeah. 
What did you think was the toughest part? What was the toughest part of the academy for you? Um, I know that the running was different. I had a, I couldn't understand why it was harder for me. Some of the things were harder. And we had circuit days and all that. That was, I love that. The stopping and doing something and going, you know, the circuit, go to different drills. That that that's I like that. That's that's a strong thing for me. I was strong in that. And uh, strong in running. I ran pretty well, you know. I ran track and but it was one of the tack officers just pulled me to the side and I was just like, I don't understand why fall back. I can't stay up sometime. And but of course, always when we did our testing, I've all, I always came down in my time. So I always passed the test that we had to pass. But it was just a daily long journeys that we had every day. I just couldn't understand why it was hard. And he said, You gotta understand something. You never get a break from us. Sleep deprivation. We're constantly dropping you. We're in your face. And we're pushing you every day. And then that's when the light went off. And I was like, oh, okay, it makes sense. Because I was beating myself up really like, well, I can't stay up in the runs. I'm usually a strong runner. And five miles wasn't anything, you know, because I played for some pretty tough coaches. I really did. I can name a couple that was pretty tough. They weren't tack officers, though, right? Might as well be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I can tell you about two right now that was pretty tough. Yeah. One is coaching the WNBA right now, Patricia Trammell. She just pushed you. She expected more from you. And um, and the other one was assistant coach, Tony Green. He's coaching at NCAA right now. Still have contact with my coaches, all my coaches, pretty much. There's maybe one I don't do. But for the most part, I have utmost respect for my coaches. Love my coaches. I had some great coaches. Where'd you go out of the academy then, once you graduated the academy? I was assigned to the Turner Turnpike, where I somehow always ended up east. Because, <laughs> you know, like on a Sunday, it, it's like motor assists just, it's like they came from nowhere. I know it's a travel day, people coming back home. But, um, yeah, it just seemed like you, if you got stuck up east, it's going to take you a while to get home. <laughs> you can catch everything on the way, you know, because you can't pass by anything. You got to stop, take care of business, so matter how long so yeah it was that was it and then sometimes I got tired of going east and west you you try, you try, yeah you try to dip off into the county and they call you back on there for a motor assist <laughs> stay out here how long were you on the turner I was on the turner I think follow two because I was there whole yes did so you, I was just a year did you go to capital patrol from there no I went to you metro went, you went to the metro mm-hmm. so you did troop a for a while I did mm-hmm. yeah Enjoyed it and decided to um, probably have been on four years and I decided to have a child. Okay, so during my time of um, carrying my precious cargo, I worked in different areas here at the training center. I worked at auto theft a little bit, um, recruitment. I worked wherever they needed me. Um, I still I still did backgrounds and went on home business and did all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I did that and then... I was going to go into a a troop to do something because I had learned how to do it and was doing well at it. But because I didn't apply, somebody complained, I believe, and I had to go. So that's how I ended up going to the Capitol. And, uh, you know, I keep trying to leave. have tried a few times, but somehow I just end up being there. 
And then at times it actually kind of worked out that way. So I felt like I was supposed to be there. I feel like I really was supposed to be there, you know? Yeah. Because of some of the things in my family life, you know, my dad and, you know, having kids and stuff. So it kind of helped me out a little bit. So talk a little bit about your job at Capitol Patrol and kind of what all that entails. Um, The Capitol Patrol is truly different than your normal patrol you have you have buildings, you know, you have more brick and mortar to, to be concerned with. You take various reports. Um, we deal with a lot of mental health uh, population. They come to the Capitol because they see the Capitol as a place of help. So naturally, they're going to come there. And, you know, it's some it's a place to come and get warm uh, from the cold or get cooler from the heat. And, you know, it's open from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday through Friday, so you can come in there and kind of hang out all day, you know? It's what they normally would do. And then on the weekends, so it's uh, it's different. Um, you deal with a lot of um, people from all over, um, and I do like that part of it. I really do. I've met a lot of interesting people, exchange information, Officers from other countries and other states come and visit and and we get to exchange things. So it's pretty cool. You get to meet a lot of different people and learn different things. And also, um, I mean, you know, if I know something, a play, great place to eat or something like that, I'm going to always offer, you know, different things to do in our city because we want we want them to enjoy while they're here. So I look at it as I'm a representation of our state. Because sometimes I'm the first person they see they come to the Capitol besides our security guards or out in the parking lot, you know. So it's a little bit different. Um, I've had to kind of learn on the go because a lot of the things that we do over there is not what we learn to do. So I've over time, I've just evolved into learning how to do certain things, um, reaching out to other agencies that deal with the type of area, uh, you know, Responding to addresses, responding to medical calls, uh, responding to uh, victim protection orders, persons that are, you know, violating that. A lot of different things, you know. Yeah. Um, so it's it's just like, you know, you're the local police there for the Capitol complex. Mm-hmm. So and but I have met some amazing people. That are lifetime friends and got to know a lot of people in the capital area. So there are a lot of great people that work in the area. So what's a typical day look like for you? Do you have a typical day? (laughs) Okay. So it's different now because of manpower issues. It's a lot different. So um, along with those duties, which they're not typically overwhelming during session. Yes. Sometimes you get a lot of calls and sometimes you get you don't get any calls. But I do some other duties that we as troopers do over there, like the calibration of the x-ray machine, taking care of the troop supplies and mail run and stuff. I call it the honeydews of the troop. Mm-hmm. So um, some other things that we do with different agencies, there are some other duties that I do every day that I'm working. Um, and, and most times you can get it done, but you still have to be seen patrol check on people in the area and still be visible. So the th- the difference is you're out, you know, in the county, 
year round, but there's a smaller concentrated place. So, you know, it's easy to see a person every day versus how out on the road, you don't typically see the same people unless you're at the local eateries or, you know, your gas stations, your favorite places to go. So I, I have a lot more, sim- I have a lot more similar people that I see on a regular basis here too. So it affords you to build relationships. Very different than troopers that are working the road. Yeah, it is a little bit. I mean, you still are dealing with people in the same arena and you still are assisting people. And, and really that, that servant heart of helping people is still the same. Um, and so, you know, I, before I came to the patrol, I was at the Capitol in a civilian position for DPS. And so I've kind of seen both sides as well. And, and so there are things that you take on both sides and it's really the same team. You know, it's a, it's a, something that's needed. And, uh, you know, it's great to have good people over there that represent the Brown uniform as well. Now it's time for our question of the day, brought to you by the Oklahoma Highway Patrol. All right, so Letigio, for a normal um, citizen that's just coming to the Capitol, they want to come in, they want to see it. What's kind of the process like? I know there's lots of different doors and lots of different ways, but the normal public, how do they get in there and, and what should they expect to see coming to the Capitol? Well, visitors parking is located south of the Capitol and it's actually south of the Oral Derrick. Handicapped parking is right there, right before you go into the Plaza Park. And that's right there between Northeast 21st Street. That is an actual street that's in between the Oral Derrick and the handicapped parking. And then you would then enter in south and you would go down toward the ground floor. So basically, if you're facing the south steps, you would go to the right to the east of the south steps to get into the state capitol. That is the entrance for our visitors, which is the visitor center is right there when you come in now. That's the best entrance to go through. They go right in. And the first thing that they see is like a metal detector and kind of a a x-ray machine where they would put their purse and things like that. Just kind of the... The general thing to see, uh, you go and you take, me, you know, metal objects out of your pockets. Correct. Like All that, your right? bags are to go to the x-ray machine and then you, your person, you walk through the magnetometer. And if you alert anywhere, then we'll further check you. Um, yes. And there are certain items that are prohibited in the Capitol. And um, and you, you cannot bring your, uh, your guns into the Capitol. Uh, there are only certain people that are allowed that. And those people know who they are. Well, thank you. That that answers our question. So if you're coming to the Capitol Park at the south, uh, that south lot and come in the southeast door there and and you'll see a, a state trooper there just to welcome you. Yes. But if you have deliveries and you're bringing things in, we have a dock entrance on the west side, but you're not to park over there. You're to unload and to move back to the south lot unless the sergeant of arms gives you permission to park somewhere. And that's something that's major and big, especially during session. We have a lot of things coming to and different days of the um, session. Different communities come in and have their day at the Capitol, so that's really huge. And now back to the podcast. So, Latika, I've heard you talk before about, you know, once you once you hit your 20-year mark, which is soon, you know, you're eligible for retirement. And I know you haven't, you know, definitely decided when you want to retire, but that you would like to recruit another black female to the patrol before you leave. Yes, I would hope to recruit, you know, uh, just more women, period, actually. Um, 
I, I would like to see more of us here, women. So it's only 14 of us, and that's pretty slim. Why do you think that is? Well, it's a male-dominated field. It's, it's truly not a traditional uh, field for women normally, but it's changing slowly, but it's changing. We're seeing more and more women in leadership positions. And so I believe, you know, young ladies, girls are now seeing women in positions able to be seen. I think that, you know, it will pick up. But I believe some of the things that are going on just in law enforcement right now is causing a lot of it as well. We already had a hard time. Now we're even having an even harder time. And that's just recruiting people, period. Uh, just recruiting people to apply right, right now. Male, it's female, actually all, really all hard. Yeah. Yes, it does. At this point, it's it's even harder. Um, sometimes it could be, I know that from those that I speak with that I've tried to recruit in the past, I mean, I talked to any and everybody, and uh, my number's pretty well known out there in Oklahoma City because I, I give it to people to call, and I check on them and just see where they're at and, and uh, one thing I am, I'm pretty, uh, got to be honest with people about this profession. I, I'm going to tell you, you know, the ups and downs, you know, the good and the not so good. Um, but it's all about how you look at it, too. So. Yeah, it is a mindset, right? You so, have to have the mindset. Definitely. Yeah, it's it's more than it is male, female. It's very much a mindset. We We find females all the time. I know that in recruiting, find females all the time that have that mindset. And whatever that the hiccup is, just to get over that hump to apply, once they get going to that and you explain to them the mindset and they they understand it, well, that's my skill set. I can do that. Then then it helps a little bit, you know, on the recruiting end. But you're right. It is difficult just in general uh, to to get someone to uh, to necessarily see themselves in this role sometimes. Yes, you have. Um, I mean, we women go to the military. All the time, you know, and they have they have different incentives for, you know, when they recruit. I mean, what do we really have Um, in the military? A woman, only the woman can have the baby. Right. And so they get six weeks and some state agencies as well gives time off for mothers to have children. There's just a lot of things that we don't do as a patrol. You know, there's some things we can look at. Our incentives can be better, but. Again, we have to go through 2300 North Lincoln to get some of those things done so that we can be able to get more qualified people. You have to look at the different things that your local um, agencies offer as far as like tuition reimbursement or, you know, extra pay for certain things. There's certain things that we just we don't have. Um which, you know, is an issue as well from speaking to some of the recruits. And then if it's a single woman and she has children, we have a we don't have a nine to five academy. We stay here. So that has also been an issue is finding someone and trusting someone to care for your kids because you're already going to be stressed to the max here and then trying to take care of your children. You know, we pretty much all our parents, and we understand what that looks like. But we know it can be done because we do have female troopers that have gone through this academy and have had kids. So we know it is doable. But I just believe that, you know, there are some things that we just cannot control 
that's just beyond our control. But I really do believe that if this is what you really want to do, if you really want it, you can get it. Yeah, and it when is, you make up your mind, yeah. like you said, a lot of it's mental. When yeah. we make up our mind to do something, we get it done. It's, I mean, it's, it's we're incredible when you make up your mind to do something. So, so let's say a female comes to you, Latika, and says, "Yeah, I I see uh, that brown uniform. That that is something that I've always wanted to to do. Uh, what would you tell her as far as?" Uh, joining the patrol or how would you necessarily how the things that you would tell her that she needs to know to join the patrol? Well, of course I would um, get to know her. I would take the time to get to know her, ask questions and just dialogue with her first of all, to see where she is in life, because that plays a big part age. You know, what is her, um, what's her background? Like, you know, what has she done previously? Um, you know, all those things, I would take everything into account. You have to. But I would tell her our basic stuff, but I will go deeper than that. You have to. And I would try to foster a relationship with her to 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 work with her on some things because sometimes they may think it's something that is going to keep them from doing it or they won't be able to handle. But we can probably work that out. We can help them, you know. So, and if I have to every step of the way, I'm fine with that, you know. I will have to do that. So I will let her know that, hey, this is what we do and this is what we offer and this is what we need you to have. But if you have some some concerns or some issues, let us know them all up front so we can work on them. So that's a real big thing about you may think you have a really great candidate and then, bam, something comes up. It's like, oh, they got to tell me that stuff, you know. And it's not necessarily just going to disqualify you or it's going to hinder you from applying this time. You may have to apply the next time. It's not for everyone at that moment in their life either. Correct. You know, you, you find we find people all the time that have great character would would do those, you know, no problem being hired as far as being the highway patrol. But just that time in their life, it's not ready yet. And that's OK. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean anything. It just means, hey, come on back when you when you can do that. And so. Uh, we, you know, I see males and females all the time that we say, well, we'd love to have you, but, you know, focus on this right now and be a, you know, take care of that arena. So. And then we need to get the message out. We need to be a, a lot more uh, open minded. Um, we need to open up more and be able to dialogue with just people, our regular citizens that we put, we protect every day, just in our interactions with everybody. We have to be the example as well so that someone would feel like, yeah, I want to be a part of that, you know? So we have to hold ourselves accountable for some of the things we do, okay? Um, and, you know, our agency really needs to be a lot more diverse than what it is, you know, and hopefully we can get there. I know it's going to probably take some time, but, you know, we have to be, like I said, open-minded and just, you know, I'm not saying just anybody, hire everybody. This is not for everybody, okay? Just like being an attorney is not for everybody. Being a doctor is not for everybody. So if a person has doubt or fear in certain areas, I would rather them not do this because we don't have a lot of room for error. It could be our life or our citizen's life. 
So you have to understand that if you choose this road, you're taking on the ultimate responsibility. You're going to have to be accountable. We have to be accountable. We all have to be accountable. That's something that I stress to them all the time. So I don't I don't believe in, I call it sugarcoating things. No, we're going to speak the truth. We're going to talk about it and what it, what it really is, what it entails, and what you may go through. I've asked you before, you know, how you recruit, and you've kind of said you're just sort of recruiting all the time and living your life. You're, you're I recruiting talk to people everywhere. Mm-hmm. You're recruiting somebody. You've been recruiting somebody. You told me from Seven Eleven for a while. Yeah, now. <laughs> I, yeah. I haven't seen her in a while though. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't seen her in a while. I, yeah. Stuck with her for about two years. I even let another trooper in another state. We talked to her together one day. Yeah. At Seven Eleven. So just wherever you go, you're Where, uh, wherever I go. Yes, and then you know what's what's crazy is I get a lot of phone calls for people wanting me to talk to their child that's interested in criminal justice, and I do that all the time, literally, like weekly. Someone's child wants to, you know, or they want to interview me, and they want to know more about the patrol and their class. They have a class, and and they're interested. You know, we've had a couple come here and do internships and stuff as well, so. Yeah, so I mean, I just I have an open door. Whoever wants to talk and whoever wants to know, or if you need assistance in doing things, let me know. You know, I'm here to help you. So my door has always been open as long as I've been here in this capacity. It's always been open, and it'll always be open when I retire one day. I mean, I don't think I'll ever. I mean, we want we want people that want to do this, and you have to be of service. And it's not a cutting, it's not a, you know, cookie cutter, you know, it's not like that. You know, sometimes you have to get inventive. You have to be able to make decisions and think outside the box. You know, you never know what you're going to be faced with. So if you don't want to do this all the way, if you're not all the way in, oh, no. Mm-mm. So I even had, I even had a, a moment where I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't know, is this for me? Are you sure? You said this is where I'm supposed to be, but I'm not really sure. I've had many conversations with the good Lord above, and we talk about it. And then there's times I'll be like, are you sure? You need to show me. Let me know, you know. Didn't you say you called your mom during the academy to come pick you up? I did. Yes, I did. I sure did. And yes. what did she say? She said, no. Oh, my goodness. Buckle down. She she didn't say what you thought she was going to say, right? No, not at all. (laughs) To know my mom, I was not. When I tell you, I was not expecting her to say that. She told me to suck it up. They're playing mind games with you. I'll come come get you. Yeah, because I didn't call my dad. I called my mama. (laughs) Because you knew what answer you wanted. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I was shopping for answers. <laughs> I really actually took that as a sign, actually. I was like, you just talk to me like that? Oh, she did. Okay. So, because my mom didn't talk like that, you know? She just didn't. She's an elementary school teacher. She's sweet. And kind. No. No. My mom is just, you know, sweet as she could be. Very sweet, sweetheart. Just nice. So, they yeah, I wasn't expecting Suck it up. <laughs> now she's getting a little spicier in her, you know, in her <laughs> golden years. But uh, <laughs> so that's like almost twenty years ago. So yeah, she told me to suck it up. I was at, I was in the office sitting there talking to Lieutenant Tato, saying, "I'm out of here. See y'all. Peace." 
Nothing y'all can do. I'm gone leaving. It's just stressful. And some things, you know, some some things are harder for you than other, you know, for others. So I had some struggles with a couple of things, but you know, I never I wasn't allowed to quit. So if I started something, I was supposed to finish it. My parents didn't allow me to quit. So quitting was kind of really hard. And there's a lot of times that I might should leave a situation or something, but I don't give up easily. Okay. So for me to want to quit, I must have really had a rough time or day that day. But I'm glad I did not. And I'm glad my mom said what she said to me. You know, I'm glad she did. She didn't allow me to just walk away and do that. So it's like um, I convinced her why I wanted to do it and why I felt like I needed to do it. And that's where I should be because I felt like that's where my path was leading. And that's where, you know, consulting with the good Lord above, I felt like this was the place because I really, truly prayed hard about it during the whole process. Had to because it was a it was it was a lot. So, you know, and it was it's a, it's a whole year, you know, it's pretty much a whole year process. So you have time to really think about things. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You have time to change your mind. You have time. So it's like, well, I'm here. I'm here. I sucked it up. <laughs> Good advice. And now it's time for the Highway Safety Update, brought to you by the Oklahoma Highway Safety Office. Let's talk about trains. Did you know it can take a train traveling at their normal speed more than a mile to come to a complete stop? Some trains weigh close to 20 million pounds, and that's a lot of steel to try to stop quickly. According to our partners at Operation Lifesaver, a person or vehicle is hit by a train every three hours in the United States. Trains are often quieter and faster than you might think. When crossing multiple tracks, make sure all tracks are clear before you cross. There may be a train coming from either direction, and even after one train ends, another could still be approaching. Most crossings in Oklahoma have an active crossing device, consisting of flashing lights, swinging arms, and loud bells. However, some only have passive crossings, which is just signage warning motorists about the tracks. These passive crossings are usually found in more rural areas. If you find yourself stuck at a railroad crossing, quickly exit your vehicle, locate the nearest emergency notification system sign, and call the number. Trains do not follow a set schedule. See tracks, think train. Drive safe, Oklahoma. Do you consider yourself a role model? Yes, I do. I don't have a choice. I honestly feel like in certain professions, really, it doesn't matter. Everybody's a role model to some degree. It might not be good, maybe bad, but I feel like everybody, especially in law enforcement, you're supposed to be seen as the protectors, the person that comes in and help people. We see people, you know, at their worst a lot of times. So, yes, um, everything we do is we live in a glass house like we were taught in patrol school. You live in a glass house. So people watch what you do, and they do. They really do. Um, but I, I I do live my life, though. So, I, you know, and I, I express to people that I am not a perfect person. I will never be. Only one perfect person walked this earth, and I won't be. I am going to make mistakes, and I am going to mess up. But the hope is that, you know, every day that God wakes me up, I still have purpose and he has an assignment for me and I need to be fulfilling that assignment. Sometimes I'm confused on what it is, but I have 
work still here to do when I wake up every day. So, and then I also like to say that I need to be better than I was yesterday. So, because there's days I'm like, oh man, I really didn't handle that right. I could have really just did a better job. I let that, mm. but I have self-talks with myself all the time. And I think people should do that. You should have those conversations with yourself sometimes because you know what you do. You know what you did. So can't fool yourself, you know. So, yeah, so I am. Uh, and, and in ways that I, I don't even know sometimes, uh, there's a young man that went into uh, law enforcement um, that I just had a conversation that um, inboxed me on social media and told me where he was and what he was doing. And he said it was because of our conversation that we had at the Capitol one day. Oh, wow. I was like, wow. So, That's neat. you know, that right there makes you say, okay, whew. the family expects and they have expectations of you. Okay. And the citizens have expectations of you. Your employer has the expectations. Your leadership has expectations of you. So, you know, but I mean, I look at this too. I don't like when people say, I'm not a role model. If you're in the public eye, kids can see you and what you do. Anybody, elders, adults, you're some sort of role model. Make sure you model that role well. That's what I say. What's your What's your advice to young women out there that are possibly considering law enforcement? I would, I would truly, you know, search within and make sure that's truly what you want to do. Um, it is not going to be easy. It is not going to always be roses. It's not going to always look pretty, smell pretty, any of that. But it's so rewarding when you know that you're truly helping people and you care more about making sure they're they're okay and doing all you can for someone that you don't even know. You know, and it's a, it's a great feeling to do that. It's always a great feeling to be a blessing. Yes, this is what I get paid to do, but there are some things that you can do and go beyond. And sometimes you have to do that, you know. So I would tell them to really search within and make sure this is something they really want to do. And I'll also say that anything, you know, worth having is not going to always be easy. You know, I mean, don't always want the easy way. You know, if you could save yourself a couple of bumps through the, on the road, yes, please do that. But don't always want everything to come easy to you, you know. So, and I believe that, you know, God gives us gives us certain gifts that he doesn't give to everybody, you know? And if, you know, if I, I feel like if he leads you there and he directs you there, he's saying, that's where I want you. That's your purpose to serve in that capacity. But just always, you know, be reminded of your character. You know, people aren't going to remember all the good things that you do, but they will. And I, I live it. They will bring up a situation and harp on that forever, but forget all the good and all the great things that you do. But in the end, he knows it all. Well, Trooper Alexander, we really appreciate you coming on our podcast and imparting all of your wisdom to us. And we know that you're a role model, um, you know, not just for women, not just for women of color, but for all, you know, a lot of people out there. And we appreciate what you do, not only for OHP, but for the community as well. Thank you. Thanks for being on. Thanks for bribing me with Starbucks. <laughs> I'm joking.